Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. That's Alex Ross. <laughs> My friend Alex Ross. The artist Alex Ross. Hmm, I love that guy. And I love the artistry that is in him. I love the discipline of his life, dedicated to his art. Hmm. I love that when he plays a wrong note, it's often followed by something that makes it even better. Hmm. So I've got this quote by Miles Davis, although I don't think he actually said those words, because when you search for that quote, you get about a thousand different versions, so who knows. But the gist of what he was saying was, when you hit a wrong note, it's the next note that makes it good or bad. I wanted to bring that to you today, because I think that's for one or two people who maybe, uh, maybe have come under some fear of making a mistake, of fearing playing the wrong note in your life. But you see, that fear of playing the wrong note, it inhibits who we're meant to be. It inhibits the unique melody of our destiny. It's what you do next that makes it good or bad. But do the next thing. Do the next thing. In my life, um, just reflecting on this, um, the, the times I think I've been most fearful of failure or playing the wrong note have been when I've been in positions, hierarchical positions of, of leadership. And there's something about that. There's something about when we're raised up and put up there that makes us kind of scared of heights. You know, fear of heights is irrational, isn't it? I could be standing on a curb and feel totally fine to stand on one leg, to spin around, to moonwalk. But if I'm on top of a 12-foot wall, I'll be very unlikely to do that. Even though the chances of me falling off are just the same. It's irrational, isn't it, a fear of heights? And I've known a fear of being put into lofty positions. I've known a fear of being responsible for lots of things. I've known a fear of being at the top. I've reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. (laughs) Dooby-doo. The times in my life as I reflected on this, the times of my life that I've been least fearful have been when I've been um, encouraged and trusted uh, as an artist. So there's a contrast there between my, my memories of being fearful and my memories of being um, quite the opposite, confident able to take risks, able to do things I've never done before. And a lot of those memories are of me being encouraged, first of all, and trusted as an artist. 
encouragement and trust are really important. It reminds me of how artists were always encouraged and trusted. It's, it's called patronage. You see, over time, um, leaders, rulers, emperors, queens, kings, have um, invested in the arts and invested specifically in artists. They've developed relationships with artists because they know um, what that brings, how healthy that is for their, their kingdom and community. And a couple of recent examples. Uh, a couple of years ago, Aaron Shah approached me, approached me personally and asked me personally if I would um, do some art at uh, Lees's Park, something I'd never done before, you know, doing, doing some outdoor art. Hadn't really done it to that scale before, but because he asked me personally and believed in me and trusted me, I, I said yes. There was an investment there before any product had ever been made. So that's more about cultivation than consumerism. And I know, <laughs> I know a lot of you got different things from what I said in part one. But... Um, <laughs> It wasn't actually about uh, not using plastic bottles. It wasn't actually about not drawing lions anymore. <laughs> if anything, it was about the difference between being a consumer and being a cultivator. Patronage. It's when leaders, rulers, and artists are on a level, when they work together when they use each other, when they relate to each other. That's when wonderful things happen. Another example is, is earlier this year, I was approached by somebody I didn't really know very well. Um, and I was asked if I would do some art at um, a worship festival in Northumberland. This guy, um, I met him for coffee, and this guy just wanted to invest in me. So I said yes. Um, in both of those cases, there was, there was not only a, a relationship investment. I've, I've got to know Aaron better since then. I've got to know this guy, Johnny, better since then. But there was, a, there was also a financial investment. Um, I wouldn't have been able to do those things had the people, the investors, not said, we want to pay for your materials. Patronage. They weren't interested in the finished product. You see, when we're consumers of the arts, we wait until somebody gets successful and famous, and then we say, when, you, when that day comes, I will pay lots of money for your art. Do you see the difference? You, that's consumerism. I'm interested in cultivators. Because that brings life. That brings about relationship. That says to somebody else, I choose you. Not I'm going to wait until you may be famous or, or a celebrity or well-known or successful by my definition of success. It's saying I trust you and I want to invest in you. Hmm. 
It's actually very risky and very hard to trust and encourage artists because they're really annoying and they, uh, they're unpredictable. They're often offensive. They don't look like us. They don't conform. They stand out for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> hmm. And also, they're, they're often um, kind of an unknown entity. So if I'm in this lofty position of leadership, why would I come alongside somebody like that, who will often ask me awkward questions, who just sometimes doesn't know how to behave in my court room, who doesn't know how to behave in front of a king, who doesn't know how to beha behave when they're in the company of leaders? Why would I invest in somebody like that? So the, the, often the easy option is to, uh, to not develop relationship with artists. For the past few uh, governments of our country, and I say the past few because th that's been the time, you know, over the past couple of decades that I've had more of a, uh, a mature interest in, in politics and leadership in our country. I've seen that often when a, a government comes into power, one of the first things that gets cut is the arts. In education, one of the first things that suffers when there are budget cuts is the arts. I think it's something to do with artists being kind of just a bit irritating, a bit offensive, easy to sideline. You know, one of, my, one of the greatest artists uh, I've been following for a while um, was sometimes offensive. Um, a guy called Jesus, you may have heard of him. I'll just get my iPad. Oh, where did I put it? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, it was a, an actual question, Beth, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't staged at all. I had lost my iPad. Thank you, Beth. <laughs> what do you mean, was that an actual question? <laughs> my wife, my wife, everybody, Beth Brown over there. Love her. Okay, Matthew 15. Let's read about this artist I know of called Jesus. I think it's Matthew 15. Hmm. You did know Jesus was and is an artist, right? One of his main media for expressing himself actually was, was fiction. And the Bible's full of works of fiction by Jesus. Here's one of them. We call them parables. But Jesus was a great storyteller. You know, and he didn't just say the facts. He wasn't held back by the facts. He often offended, confused people by talking fiction but you see when artists use fiction they tell a deeper truth 
that is not restricted to the facts. So when Jesus one week talks about the kingdom being like a mustard seed, and then the next week he's saying the kingdom is, is like a pearl of great value, some people perhaps in the crowd, I, I often think this, I often think that you know thousands gathered to hear Jesus, some of them must have gone away being nonplussed, like, oh, no, I've heard better, you know, didn't really ha- think he said much for me. I reckon some people would have gone away from Jesus talking, being almost unaffected by what he said. I know this because some people came away from what Jesus said being outraged and, and incensed. And other people, of course, came away, their lives being changed forever. So I reckon there was some in between as well. Because we're, we're people, aren't we? I also know this because that's what happens today. When you hear the word of God, some people walk away thinking, what was that all about? So I reckon some people came away saying, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. No, it's not. What a stupid thing to say, you know? And last week he said it was a pearl. I wish he'd make his mind up. So Jesus is talking. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teaching is merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen, listen. And understand this, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees are really offended when they heard that? He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, eh? Explain the parable to us. You moron. Jesus replied. He he kind of did. Because he said, are you still so dull? And if you look at how that translates, the, the Greek word for dull and blunt is moron. So, there you go. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands doesn't defile them. So there's two things there. First of all, When Jesus spoke very directly to the Pharisees, saying that what was written in Isaiah is true about them, how offensive is that to the learned religious people of that time? Like, how dare he? And then he goes on to speak in in, in fiction, 
talking about plants and roots and blind leading the blind and falling into a pit. That didn't happen. So Peter says, uh, could you explain that to us? I think Peter was one of those people that's like, what's he on about now? And then Jesus said, are you still such a moron? <laughs> that's the artist. That's the artist. Sometimes artists get really cross when they're asked to explain their works. <laughs> a French philosopher once said, in French, um, but I'll say it in English because <laughs> I can't speak French, said the writer is dead. The writer is dead. In other words, once I've produced a work of art, I'm no longer responsible for it. You know, take it, take it away. Do what you will with it. Interpret it how you will. I will not be telling you what my intention was. The writer is dead. And I think that's kind of what Jesus was saying. Are you still so dull? Artists are offensive. Artists aren't factual. Think of Jesus' parables. Think of David's Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. What, an actual shepherd? That means I'm a sheep. I don't remember him leading me beside still waters. That never happened to me. Think of Solomon's poetry. <laughs> Maybe it's not for too long. <laughs> but when I read some of Solomon's poetry in the Bible, in the actual Bible, it describes women in, in really strange ways. Like it says that their hair is made of goats, like running down a hillside. It says their boobs are, are pomegranates. What? That'd be quite useful, I guess. You could kind of <laughs> pop them over a salad. Functional women. But I don't think that's what it means. You see, artists aren't restricted to being factual. They're more concerned with deeply buried truths, hidden in beautiful fiction. Deeply buried truths, hidden in beautiful fiction. Who said that? Me, just now. So these irritating people who often speak untruths, well, no, that's not, that's not fair, who often bury the truth in fiction, who are offensive, who, who don't mind failing and failing and failing, they're very hard to live with. Think of people in your community that are quite hard to live with. Perhaps it's because there's an artistry in them that keeps coming out. Think of people in our church over the years who have been very hard to get to know or very hard to live with because they're irritating. Maybe it's because they're artists. Maybe it's just because they're irritating. But, you know, life's easier without artists. I never thought I'd stand up and, and, and say that anywhere. But life's easier without artists. It's more straightforward. I can kind of tell what's happening in life. I can, it's more predictable. I can get on top of things without artists. 
And it's easy, actually, to get rid of artists because they're often easy to offend. They're sensitive. They're emotional. And I don't like that when I'm trying to get a job done. Just stop encouraging them. That's a good way to get rid of them. Ignore them. That works. Humor them. Great way to suppress them. Just smile occasionally and say, that's a nice painting, or I like that song. Make them popular. Brilliant way to crush the artistry in somebody. You know, make them really famous and popular. <laughs> How many um, musicians, artists, have, have kind of almost stopped being creative because they've become successful? Think about how many, you know, if you're into bands and music, think about how many first albums, debut albums are absolute genius. And then the second and third album are just a bit kind of like, just a bit bleh. Yeah? Amy Winehouse, The Stone Roses. Hmm. It's easy to get rid of artists, and that's kind of a warning to any community. When artists leave, something happens. You know, if they're not listened to, if they're not valued, they do leave. There's stories all over the world about artists who, who are in exile, artists who are imprisoned, artists who, who leave a country en masse because of what's happening in that country. It's, it's often not the first decision they make. It's often the last decision they make. It's the last resort. I saw on the news this morning that, um, or last night perhaps, this kind of does and doesn't have anything to do with artists, but um, that um, Donald Trump stood uh, and basically said that uh, he recommends that uh, sports managers and coaches fire anybody who doesn't stand respectfully and sings the national anthem. And first I thought, well, yeah, people should be respectful. It's the national anthem. But then I thought, hold on a minute. You know, if I'm standing and singing a national anthem, um, wh what am I singing about? That was my first thought. And then I, th I was thinking, well, why are people not? Why are people raising a fist? You know, it's often black athletes, actually, in America. Why are people kneeling instead of standing? Why are they doing that? What are they protesting about? That's perhaps what we should be asking. It's certainly not what Donald Trump is asking. I think he wants to get rid of anybody who protests. When artists leave, his entire arts council quit an entire council in America quit in protest. Like the whole lot, the whole department of the arts and culture in America. That says something. What happens when artists leave? Think about kind of all of the terrible wars that happen in countries. Often, um, people exile those countries and often they're, they're creative people, artists, and they flee or they protest or they get imprisoned in those countries because they're the ones that ask questions 
and have been doing so for years. They're the ones that, that conflict with the leadership that is, that is about to wage war. They're the ones that say, uh, should we really be doing this? They're the ones that um, have a, a different opinion. And when they leave, we're in trouble. That's when wars happen. That's when empires rise up. You know, I, I was brought up um, with, with lots of view, views about war um, from different influences. And every so often I would hear about people who are conscientious objectors and they would be spoken about pretty much as if they were kind of cowardly, you know, they're not kind of, they're not brave enough, they're not courageous enough to go to war. I'm starting to think more and more that conscientious objectors are some of the bravest people out there to be able to make a stand against something that everybody else is doing. Maybe we need more conscientious objectors. Maybe we need more people to kneel instead of stand when people are, are singing and perhaps worshipping a, a, a nation's flag. When artists leave the church, that can be when, when cults happen. This is serious. You see, if everyone follows a leader, a person, a leader, in, in a hierarchical fashion, it starts to um, affect how we think. It starts to um, affect the culture of that church. We all think how you think. You tell us how to think. And the people who think differently have already left. Do you see what I mean? You see, artists have a, a sensitivity. Artists are, are seers. They see things that maybe nobody else sees. So often, uh, the, the warning signs are, are on the artist before anybody else. It reminds me of, um, you know, when that awful tsunami hit um, a lot of Pacific islands and, and countries, and the Indian, Indian Ocean as well, that I heard tales of, uh, on some of the islands, all of the wildlife and the birds, you know, the animals, uh, moved up into the mountains and up into the hills, uh, like hours before the, the, the tsunami hit the island and, and devastated it. And so a lot of uh, creatures like elephants and, and smaller creatures survived because they'd already moved. They had a sensitivity that we don't have. I think artists are a bit like that. I think prophets are a bit like that. You see, artists are prophetic in that they see what's happening around them and they also make it their, their kind of li their life's work to communicate that. They're environmentally aware and then they communicate that. So they're both seer and navvy prophets. Sometimes people who, who are held up to be prophetic in churches are maybe just one or the other. But artists, I see in artists that they are both. They're barometers of, of social justice. 
they're barometers of morality. They see it. And maybe part of our job as, as leaders is to encourage that out of them and to listen to them and, and, and develop relationships with them. Hmm. So I'm going to finish with some encouragement, actually, to, to anybody who, who has this in them that, that, that says, uh, I've got something, um, I've got an artistic urge in me, I've got a creative urge in me, I, I see stuff, I feel stuff, and I want to express it. You know, that might be just very, very small, like a mustard seed in you at the moment, but I want to encourage that out of you. And I want to encourage artists who have been offended in the past uh, and have been uh, dismissed in the past to stay with us in our community. Don't leave. There's a, there's a beautiful song lyric. And typically for me, I can't remember the rest of the song, so it may be way out of context, but... Um, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful truth. Don't leave because I can't see you. That's all I can remember. And that's it, isn't it? Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful truth. Don't leave because I can't see you. Artists. Hmm. I want to cultivate you. I'm not waiting until you're famous or successful and then I'm going to buy something from you or invest in you then. I want to invest in you now. I'm seeing more and more that, the, that my role on this, on this earth is to, is to invest in people, is to cultivate, help cultivate creativity in people. And I'm loving that. Leaders, I want to encourage you to, to, to align yourself through relationship with those that have these sensitivities, those that see things that you don't. Don't occasionally consult them. Align yourself with them. Even though that's uncomfortable. And you align yourself with them through relationship. And I think when that happens more and more in our church, things will flourish that haven't flourished before. I'm excited about that. Hmm. This is the quietest you've ever been. Hmm. Bless you. I love you. Bless you.